you know, when you talk about goal setting, you got to take a beat back and say, my goal is to be satisfied with the work I do. My goal is to know my patients are really happy. My goal is to know that even if I only have 500 listeners, every week I get 100 emails saying, wow, you spoke to me today. What good is it if you have 50,000 listeners and nobody ever writes you and says, your, your, your podcast does nothing for me? It's like, I put it on the background while I'm vacuuming. That was this week's guest, Dr. Bruce Freeman, and this is the Newbie Dentist Podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Omid Azami. Before getting into this week's episode, I just wanted to take a minute to thank all the listeners of the Newbie Dentist Podcast. August was the best month in terms of downloads and shares and streams for the podcast, and I think I just need to put out my gratitude to everyone who continues to support the podcast, to share the episodes with their friends and family, for helping the podcast grow and reach these new heights. If you haven't already seen it, I've been producing a weekly mentorship series with videos that I've put on YouTube on the Newbie Dentist YouTube channel, as well as my website, www.newbiedentist.com. If you haven't already done so, please check out the video series, as I hope to share some of the lessons that I've learned from my own personal experience working for the past few years, and also from all the amazing guests that I've had the privilege of having on the podcast over these past couple of years. This week's episode is with Dr. Bruce Freeman. Dr. Bruce Freeman is a native of Toronto, Ontario, where he currently practices as an orthodontist and a staff clinician at Mount Sinai's Facial Pain Unit. Dr. Bruce Freeman also lectures extensively around the world on the topics of orthodontics, facial pain, and the patient experience. Outside of dentistry, he likes to help his fellow clinicians through the practices of yoga, meditation, and mindfulness. In this first episode of the two-part series, we'll be talking about crushing your side hustle why it's important to keep your fingers in more than one pie to allow pivots and to keep options open. Also, why it's really important to take chances in life. Get your foot in the door and don't be afraid to fail. And we finish up by talking about the imposter syndrome versus the Dunning-Kruger effect and how this can affect clinicians in all stages of their career and why it's important to overcome these limitations to be able to reach your goals and reach success. This week's episode is brought to you by my good friends at Ivoclar Vivident. Ivoclar Vivident is one of the world's leading and most innovative dental companies, offering a comprehensive range of products and systems that provide you with new opportunities in dentistry. For even more aesthetic and efficient results and better dental care for your patients, be sure to check out www.ivoclarvivident.com.au. Without further delay, enjoy my great interview with my good friend, Dr. Bruce Freeman. Welcome to the Newbie Dentist Podcast, giving a voice to young clinicians worldwide. The Newbie Dentist Podcast aims to be the dental industry leader in in-depth, informative and motivational interviews with some of the world's leading clinicians, academics and experts with your host, Dr. Omid Azami. So I'm here with a friend of the podcast, Good friend of mine, a good mentor of mine, Dr. Bruce Freeman. Dr. Freeman, uh, you know, leading up into this interview, I went back and checked the dates and everything of when we first met and did the podcast. And it was in like late February of 2018. So it's been about two and a half years since we first sat down together and recorded the podcast, Life Outside of Dentistry, that we did a, a bit of a two-parter. And one of the things that kind of stuck out to me, you know, going back and seeing, you know, everything that, you know, life has happened in the last two and a half years myself moving back to Australia. And 
more importantly, what really impressed me was all the things that you've done, um, you know, being, you know, so established in your career and, you know, you, a lot of people in your position would be set in their ways and just kind of going through the motions now. Uh, but seeing all the stuff that you've taken on and new things that you've added to your arsenal over the past two and a half years has been really impressive. So that's something that I was hoping to get into today, uh, you know, once we get here going, but uh, mostly I just want to say thank you for coming back on and I really appreciate the time and I'm sure the listeners will get a lot of value from having you on as well. Well, thanks for having me here. You're such a big deal now. I felt like I might have to call your agents or something to get back on. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll, we'll let the uh, the representative sort out the fees and all that uh, afterwards. So you're, you're, yeah, you're, uh, you're all my people, but I'm my yeah. people, so yeah. I, I don't have people. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, going back to that, what I was talking about there, I think one of the really big things that I want to gain out of this interview today is the, what drives you, what motivates you to, you know, really crush the side hustles, as they say, uh, you know, a lot of millennials, a lot of people our age, not necessarily even for the money, I think just for the creativity and for the, you know, outlets of, you know, blowing off steam after work and things have started projects or are doing things outside of work. And I think you're a great example of that, of someone who's, you know, co constantly reinventing yourself and adding things. So tell me a little bit about like the bigger picture of how you approach these types of projects and how you kind of get into them. Well, it's very interesting because I was talking to a friend of mine, uh, Andrea Johnstone, the queen of periodontics. She's phenomenal. And I was saying, I was calling her and I said, oh, she says, what were you up to today? And I said, oh, I was doing this. I was doing that. I, I just wrote something. I was talking because, you know, I um, coach people who are trying to get into all different, even outside of healthcare. And she just started laughing. She says, you have more side hustles than anybody I know. And I don't even think about it sometimes, but I always saw, you know, my father grew up in the depression in England, was in World War II. His father was in World War I, very different mentality. And it, you know, it's always good to just be diversified. You never want to be invested in one particular thing. And I always get upset when dentists say, well, what am I going to do? I'm a dentist. I'm incapable of doing anything else. <laughs> I said, well, you know, you're the CEO, CFO, CTO, EIEIO. You're, I mean, you run the business and, you know, most dental offices are, you know, very successful and lucrative businesses. So, I mean, nobody teaches us how to do it. We often do it wrong very early on, but I always just thought there's so much more that I think I can do. And I never, could do the same thing you know one i met this young lady once uh we were a bunch of friends at a uh, we were on vacation and this this uh young woman had uh she'd beaten cancer and we were at this amazing resort and i said oh would you come back she said no i said but why and she says life's too short to go to the same place twice and then i said oh okay she's she's got a point there do you know what i mean so i just think i'm interested in so many things and I mean, I've now, I've been taking Italian for five, six years and I do grammar exercises every day. I have lessons now twice a week. And then I thought, you know, I'm going to start learning German. <laughs> and friends of mine are just like, why? And I said, why not? <laughs> you know, I want to be able to, I wish I could speak every language. I wish I could have time to read every book and, and listen to every podcast. Like I just feel engaged. And I think longevity wise, when you look at why people age well and super agers, it's because it's that engagement. You want to keep your brain. I mean, that's why I started Italian originally. I just wanted to stave off Alzheimer's, you know, I just hope to keep my brain engaged. Um, and I just, I just can't sit still. So that's a bit of my issue where I just always feel I have to be doing something. 
but I just have so many interests. And now I'm at the point in my life and career where if I've gained all this knowledge and introspection and ideas, then it's kind of wasted if I don't try and help somebody. And in fact, one of my friends who's a, who's a specialist, he wrote me, he said, you know, I had this guy, he wasn't listening about getting the crown done and I did what you told me and I presented the treatment, you know, like a tree. And then I made him say it back to me. And then at the end, he's like, oh, you're right. I really do need this crown. He said, like, holy crap, you actually are right. <laughs> and, and I've made every mistake in the book. And then when I, people say like, oh, you know, you don't change, you know, people don't change. I said, I changed the way I've spoken to patients in the last year and a half. You know, I'm now the biggest Danielle Offrey fan, as you know, and I've changed how I speak to patients. And I think we can always change and get better and, and figure out new ways to do it because it's very easy to become complacent. And then you're not so good. Like HOMAM, I think you've done a podcast with HOMAM. I think dentistry and HOMAM is amazing. I mean, master's in immunology, dentist, you know, hospital dentist, now he's finishing another master's in education. I mean, talk about me. And he's always giving me things to read. And one of the things we've been just, we discussed this yesterday on one of our very interesting, you know, coffees where we talk about everything. And um, he said, we were talking about Anders Ericsson talked about purposeful practice, you know, the 10,000 hour rule, that's where it originated. And now people are saying, well, there's genetics, it's nature versus nurture. I mean, nobody knows what the heck they're talking about, but they're trying to figure it out. And so it's about how do you get good at something? And then, how do you get better at something? And then one of the things in Erickson's book that struck me, it's called Peak. It's cool in Erickson. And I may get some things wrong if I do, you know, don't at me. I'll give you the reference, you know, <laughs> get it figured out. Um, one of the things that he talked about in the book was it's almost better to go to a doctor who's been out like five to seven years versus 25 years because the five to seven year doctor is like still keen, you know, really looking things up, trying new things, taking courses where the other person's sort of like almost, and again, this is not a generalization and I'm of that generation. So if anybody, I'm like, I'd be putting myself down here. It's you fall into a rut. And sometimes even I, I tell people and my, you know, the, it takes a village to keep me upright, chiropractors, osteopaths. And, you know, I have two chiropractors because sometimes one hits a rut and they say, Oh, well, what did the other guy say? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Because sometimes I'm sure you know, everybody goes for their default nerve or muscle or, you know, no matter what it is, they, I call it square pegging round holing, where you're trying to make the symptoms fit the diagnosis you've already created in your mind, which again is bias. And that's a whole nother issue with, with that. But I just think we can get better. And if you think you can't get better, then that's because it's hard to look in the mirror and go, maybe I kind of suck, or maybe I need to get better, or maybe, you know, it's, it's time for a refresher, or it's time to stop doing a particular procedure and, you know, maybe focus on something. You know, if, if you keep, if your endos keep failing, like, it's probably not the patient's. You know, like when somebody says every restaurant in Melbourne is terrible, the wait staff are terrible, the food in Melbourne is terrible. Well, I don't think it's the restaurants. I think it's the, it's the diner <laughs> in Melbourne who's having the problem because I'm sure Melbourne has amazing restaurants and amazing teams. So the common denominator is not the restaurants. It's this person. One of the things that's impressive and something that I'm trying to deal with and, and work through over the past little bit, and you know, it comes with having that growth mindset of trying to learn things and take things on. 
I, I find that, you know, the more things I've been taking on in different projects and things, the more, obviously the more stress it creates because you're trying to juggle and manage and not only just get it done, but you want to do a good job at all these things that you're doing. So what's like some of your strategies of, you know, is it time management? Is it prioritization? Or is it like just having like good systems to like just get projects done right away? Uh, and you know, one of the, one of the cool things was, uh, was, I, I mostly just listened to books because I don't have too much time to like sit down and read. So I was listening to this audiobook of, it's called getting things done. And he had this, I uh, forget the author's name, but it's, it has like the two minute rule. So if there's like, even if you're busy throughout your day and like a, a task comes to you that can get done within two minutes, just do it then and there. So don't add it to a to-do list. Cause that just piles up and creates like, like anxiety and stress and things. So what, like that's one example, but what are your, some, some of your strategies to like be able to take on all these different projects and have your fingers in all these pies and then also make sure you do a good job with, with all of them well you do have to you know when you said that it's something i still remember this uh this girl that was a year ahead of me in dental school and she used to say you know if the rubber dam doesn't go on in five minutes it probably wasn't meant to go on <laughs> and then you're gonna have to figure something else out like you can only struggle for so long before you realize i need to isolate a different way <laughs> like this is not happening so i always remember that sticks in my head um, it is about prioritizing and sometimes it's easy to jump from, from job to job because then you're just not getting anything done. Do you know what I mean? Or you're not stimulated enough. And I mean, this, you got to break this down because it's all neuroscience, neuroscience. So task list versus to-do list. To-do list, pick up the laundry, go to the supermarket. doesn't matter what order you do them in. A task list is if you and I are doing a podcast, we didn't launch into the podcast. We had a quick phone chat, you know, for 10 minutes. And we said, Hey, we're like, well, what the heck are we going to talk about? So that had to come first. So that's a task list. So that, that's a little bit different. And then, you know, passions are great. And I've read so much. I can't even remember where I read it anymore. Passions are great until you realize it takes effort. And then you realize you're not good at it. And then I'm going to have to practice. And you're like, Oh, I'm not passionate about this anymore. And it's just like, no, because you hit a bump and it's, you know, you have to realize that if you're engaged in something, and this is, this is a thing called flow, and people are dissatisfied in their jobs because they think, I'd rather just sit home and watch Netflix. Actually, they've shown that people are not happier just sitting on their ass watching Netflix. You know what I mean? Um, I find when I sit down to watch Netflix, I get stressed because I can't decide what to watch. And then after 15 minutes, I just give up and go read something. I'm like, And then I text people. It's like, I need a show. <laughs> I need to watch something. So what happens is, when you're in flow, what you're, you're challenged, you have these skills. Everybody has skills at something, and they're challenged to some extent. And when those, and it's that perfect sweet spot where you're being challenged a bit, but you know you can get the job done, that you're in that flow, and then all of a sudden it stops, and you're like, wow, I gotta go to the bathroom, I gotta drink something. Like, uh, <laughs> I was totally, what time is it? Do you know what I mean? I don't even know where I am. So everybody can get into that point of flow, and if you give yourself enough time and allow yourself to be challenged and recognize, and this is something that I really, that really stuck with me. And I read the other day, reread it again, was that don't see stress as a threat, but see it, you know, see it as a challenge. You know, famous entertainers, Barbara Streisand once said, I read, she said, if you go on stage, you're not a little bit nervous, you're going to give a really crappy performance. You know what I mean? There has to be that bit. And, you know, she's given, you know, the whole world listens to her, you know, she's hugely successful and she has, interestingly, she has longevity. You know, why does she have that longevity? So it's interesting about 
finding something that you like, but allow yourself to be challenged. Allow yourself to, you know, hit some balls into the net and, you know, shank a few shots into the, into the sand, you know, and end up in the traps. The other thing is that you, you know, it's Dunning-Kruger meets cognitive dissonance. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And, and there's a big car accident between them on the, on the, in your brain. Um, and Dunning-Kruger is where people don't have self-reflective ability to realize they suck at something. And, and then you tell them they suck at it and they're like, no, I don't. <laughs> and uh, cognitive dissonance is, I can't possibly be bad at something. You know, what do you mean? I've been a dentist for 20 years. You mean I'm bad at it? That's impossible. So you have that intersection. And Dunning-Kruger, I always say when people don't know what it is, I said, have you been to karaoke? You know, and then, you know, somebody jumps on stage and starts, you know, singing Purple Rain and they're like, man, I killed it. It's like, oh yeah, it's dead. <laughs> like you totally, you killed it, but in a completely different way. So it's about allowing yourself to be challenged. Don't see the stress as a threat and say, hey, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll get there, you know, and I mean, I'm not going to maybe win a medal, but like, as long as I'm being challenged, because the minute your brain gets challenged and you enter into that flow Science shows you actually enjoy yourself. You enjoy yourself a lot more than just sitting on your ass and thinking of the next great thing that you're going to do. But a lot of generations now, the minute there's a roadblock, they're like, you know, I'm done. I'm out. One other thing that you mentioned, the Pomodoro technique, it was invented by this Italian guy. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Pomodoro, Pomodoro is like Italian for tomato. So he has this little water clock that looks like a tomato. And some people sit there for three hours studying and your brain just goes, shuts off after that amount of time. So the Pomodoro technique is about, okay, I think it's going to take me an hour to do this task. Why don't I break it up into three 20 minute units or something like that? 20, yeah, I'm just trying to think three times 60 minutes. Um, shows your math was not my strong suit. So, so three 20 minute units. And then you take a break for five grab a cup of coffee, you know, whatever, um, read a page of a book and then go back to it. So because if I'll launch into this a little bit right now, we have something in our brains called the DMN, the default mode network, and that's our brain screensaver. And when the, the way I interpret it is everybody's screensaver is like floating things, you know, <laughs> shapes, everything, spinning, turning, colors, whatever. Um, what happens is when you're in flow and you stop, that focus is gone. So your brain goes back into screensaver mode and then all the thoughts rush in and you're like, ah, you know, like I've got so much to do. So it's about carving out that time and it doesn't have to be two hours, three hours, maybe it's 10 minutes. You know, why does it have to be three hours? Why, why do you have to set up your room like it, it's for a photo shoot to just sit down and, you know, you know, create a website or work on a pr presentation? So it's about better learning how our minds work and that we can't sit for hours on it. We need to split up our tasks. We need to do task lists versus to-do lists. And we need to recognize threat as not a, um, sorry, stress is not a threat, but a, a challenge and realize, yeah, passions take work. And to get knocked down a little bit, that's good. Then you come back a little stronger. And then we'll talk about comparisons and how that kills passions very quickly but i'll let you i'll let you jump in and continue so yeah one of the other things was and i had uh, another dentist that i was interviewing a few weeks ago uh, out of sydney he started these dental trucks that he goes to like rural communities to provide dental services and he's grown it from like one truck into like a proper like non-for-profit organization who's doing great work 
And one of his things was, and something that you talked about as well previously was just taking chances, you know, don't let that fear of, you know, if I try something and fail, stop you from actually trying to do that thing. So what does like taking chances mean to you and approach these opportunities when you see something that you just go for it and you're not like, oh, maybe if I do it and if it won't work out, then I'm embarrassed or I look bad or something. How do you overcome that fear? And that's so interesting because that really relates to what I try. I just stop myself from talking about and it's the comparison, comparison, comparison. So, you know, I, I heard something, it was on something I was, I was listening to and they said, you know, the, the person who was speaking says when I was in grade seven, cause they were in their forties, if I tripped and my lunch ended up in my face, you know, everybody would laugh at me for five minutes, but that would be the end of it. Now you trip, it's, it's out there forever because there's probably 30 people filming you tripping, you know what I mean? And then you're, you know, you're trending on the internet because you're grooming in your face. So when I took chances, I didn't know any better. I had no, you know, I didn't really have mentors when I was, uh, you know, growing up and becoming, deciding what to do. And so it was very interesting. You took chances and you failed, but you didn't know better. And you didn't know that it maybe you look foolish because you didn't think, oh, I'm going to look foolish to the world. Now people worry, Omid, they're not going to look foolish to their friends. They were, they're going to look foolish to, you know, 10 million people. So all of a sudden, you know what everybody has? Stage fright. And stage fright holds everybody back because now everybody's, the internet is telling you it's not going to work. Whereas before it was a couple buddies saying, that's a dumb idea. And you're like, you're idiots. I'm going to do it anyways. So, so you took chances. Like I was supposed to, you know, I work at Mount Sinai now, you know, in the facial pain clinic, I was supposed to do my residency there out of dental school. And then one of my instructors said, no, you should go to this place called the Eastman Dental Center. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> and then I still remember the late Jerry Baker, the phenomenal oral surgeon, when he called to, you know, anoint me that I'd been, you know, accepted to Mount Sinai. I said, oh, I'm waiting to hear from another program. When do you need to know? And there was dead silence on the phone. He says, I don't know. Nobody's ever asked me that. <laughs> And I was like, oh, okay, I'll call you tomorrow. Like, I was a complete idiot. I didn't know. I didn't know it was wrong. So I think it's okay to seek counsel, but you just got to take a, you know, take a internet diet, a social media diet, stop looking around and just say, you know what? I've consulted some experts. I've, I've spoken to my trusted advisors. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to, I'm going to do this because otherwise you just become paralyzed and you become paralyzed because you're worried what the world is going to think of you. And you're worried that, you know, well, there's 400 people on Instagram that are doing this and they seem to be doing it better. So you really, your reference point becomes completely skewed. And they've actually shown this with happiness because, you know, if you're looking at the Kardashians or the real housewives or whatever, you know, you're looking at, you're, you're thinking, oh, wow, I want that. That would make me happy. But they've shown a million in a million studies. It doesn't make you happy. But we, we choose the wrong reference points. And that's a huge problem. So it's about, take, it's about taking chances and saying, you know what? I'm going to do this. Like, shut up. <laughs> you know, like, let me just do this. And if I fail, you know what? I'll pick myself up and I'll start again. It's tough nowadays. You know, as, as someone who I, I try and do these things and you know, one of my favorite pictures that I've seen is it's like a Michael Phelps one. I'm sure you've come across it. It's like one of his final races at the Olympics and he's, he's swimming and his eyes are like, you know, focused on the end and the wall and the, the competitor next to him is like looking over to him to see where he is. And like the caption is like, you know, winners focus on winning and 
loses, like see what the winners are doing. So, and it's, it's hard to remind yourself of that. Cause you know, like you said, there's such a comparative society now. And like, you know, you, you can post like a podcast or a project or a video on YouTube or an article. And then there's like data, like, like, Oh, that other person got like three times as many views. Like I must suck. So it's very hard to like, just focus on your own project, focus in your own lane and just put in your own work to, to get to an outcome. And so that's the challenge of it. I think I said this last time, my, my acupuncturist, like I said, takes a village. Um, she said to me when I was becoming a yoga instructor, she says, just focus on your own downward dog. Don't, don't be looking at everybody else's. <laughs> and she said it, you know, in this, you know, in this very, you know, manner of wisdom, you could, you could feel emanating from, from her. And, and she was a hundred percent right that we, it's, you know, comparison, comparison, comparison. And apparently I was just listening home. I'm sent me was Amanda Duckworth and Steve Durbin, I think, um, a little podcast. And it's interesting when you're a kid, you don't, you actually don't compare because it's when you get older, you're like, am I tall enough? Am I strong enough? Am I smart enough? That's when the comparisons start coming in. And, you know, a lot of times they don't look, we're all guilty of it. You know, we all do it. Um, and then, you know, that lends into the imposter syndrome. You know, I know you interviewed Jessica Metcalf, who, you know, it shows you how old I am. Like she, <laughs> she's a resident with me. I was, you know, I was her attending when she was a resident. And, uh, and Aaron Watson, who she works with at Princess Margaret, the cancer hospital in Toronto. But it was interesting. I don't know if anybody, if you're a Big Bang Theory fan, but the imposter syndrome is kind of, it's, it's interesting. And it's actually, to some extent, a good thing because toward the end, spoiler alert, but it's, you know, it's already been shown. You know, Amy and Sheldon discovered something. They were up for a Nobel Prize and these two yahoos somehow you know, fell ass backward into their experiment, proving something. And then, you know, they said, yeah, we feel like, we, we feel like imposters. And she started screaming at them and you can't be imposters. You're idiots. You didn't even try. <laughs> I mean, she says, we tried, we, we were purposeful. She says, we can have imposter syndrome. You two are just idiots. <laughs> you know, you're fraud. So if you feel imposter syndrome, I think it's great because it means you're actually engaged. You're actually doing something. You know, and there's nothing wrong with it. It's just stop, stop the comparing. It just, you know, and we all do it, but it's, and we think our brains don't know, but they do. And our brains use this information and they screw you over royally and just make you unhappy about things you really shouldn't be unhappy about. And, you know, with all these things that you have on the go, I'm sure, you know, in your track record, there's been projects that you have started and necessarily didn't work out or didn't get to a logical conclusion that you were hoping for. What about like pivoting? Because I know that's a big thing as well. You know, a lot of people might start something and they just keep, you know, bashing their head against the wall, but it's not going anywhere or they might be better served to like spend their time doing another project that might be more aligned with their interests and passions and things. Have you had any experience with like pivoting and when to pivot? <laughs> Have I ever failed at anything? How long is this podcast? Uh... <laughs> <sighs> yeah, um, pivoting all the time. You know, there's projects that I've started you know, that just went nowhere. And that's a big issue. And then you sort of think, oh, why did this not go anywhere? Is it my fault? Or what, like, was it not a good project? And, you know, um, you know, I, I'm now director of patient experience for Dental Corp. So uh, it's a corporation and there's certain, you know, things that they have to deal with and the thrust now for them. And there's actually somebody coming from Australia to be the new chief of people. It's relationship, relationship, relationships. And that's why, you know, I was brought on and we're dealing with wellness and how every, 
everything they do in order to successfully run dental practice is, okay, well, how's the team feeling? How's the patient feeling? And it's really, you know, it's difficult to do with one office, let alone many. But, you know, I've started projects with them and we started these big projects on, you know, how to train residents and how to train new associates and educational programs, wellness programs, and they don't all go ahead at the same time. And at first I was sort of like, whoa, like am I an idiot? Like what did I do wrong here? But everybody has to prioritize. And sometimes what you're doing just doesn't fall within the, the list of priorities. That doesn't mean it's a bad idea or you pitch it to somebody else. You know, Jessica once asked me, she said, how'd you get all your speaking engagements? I said, you, you, you want to see all the bruises on my foot? <laughs> like I shoved my foot in the door and I went to people. I said, hey, I got an idea. You know, put me up there, pay me nothing or whatever. And if it works, great. If it doesn't, then, you know, don't call me. And that's how literally Omid until, you know, the last year or two that I've got every single speaking engagement. I shoved my foot in the door and I wasn't afraid to hear no. And you got it. You're, you're going to, you know, a friend of mine, a phenomenal dentist, her daughter during university did a little modeling. And I said, how do you feel about it? She goes, awesome. She says, I want her to learn to hear the word no. Because, you know, when you're modeling, it's not like, hey, you're perfect every time. <laughs> it's like, you know, your left ear is two millimeters higher or lower, you know, why? You're terrible. So you've got it you got to just shake it off. And so even with yoga, you know, I was teaching yoga online and then I, I, it wasn't working the way I was doing it. So then I thought, well, how can I do this? And then dental corp said, well, we'll do a virtual yoga studio. And then I said, well, how do I let people know? And then people would say, well, I can't necessarily get there at that time I'm working. So then I said, well, why don't we record it? So it's, you know, when a door, I feel like I'm quoting the sound of music, you know, when one door closes, a window opens and, you just got to look for the window because, you know, and you got to trust your gut because feelings are your guide to living. You know what I mean? And a therapist I know who's amazing, she goes, avoid them at your own peril. Because if you don't think, if you don't go with your gut and say, no, this is a good idea. I think we can do it. Ask somebody else, approach somebody else, get feedback and say, what about it didn't resonate and why should we do something different? So there's always a way. It's just not folding up your tent and going home. I mean, I've been told a million times, you know, even when you when I first opened my first ortho office, things I did resonated, things I didn't didn't work. And as I said, I've changed the way I talk to patients within you know the last year and a half. I just said, you know, I don't think certain things aren't working, and I I need to connect in a different way. And I did. And you know what? And Danielle Offrey says this, and I think it's amazing because she, she's got a lot of resilience, this woman. She's been through it all. PhD, you know, everything, internal medicine, phenomenal, you know, physician, educator. And she would talk about things in her book. You know, she read, oh, if you do this with your patients, they'll be eating out of your hands and love you. So then she said, you know, Monday morning, she goes in and the patient looks at her like she's got three heads. <laughs> she's a complete idiot. And she's, you know, she's got her little list. She's like, you know, cross that one off the list. And it's like, you, it's like dentists do it every day. You know, this material, geez, this thing's like, I feel like I'm stuck in a net using this material. This sucks. I'm going to try, you don't just throw up your hands and say, well, I'm never doing another restoration. This material is terrible. You got to find what works. It's like dating. You don't marry the first person you date. No, it takes a lot of, takes a lot of time to find what works and you can't, be afraid to pivot and also you can't be afraid to pack something away and said you know what i've given it some good effort now's not the time
Maybe I'll put it out of the box another time, but you got to take your ego out of the way. Like when the instructor in dental school, who's maybe, you know, their attitude's a little, you know, not great and their delivery is even worse. You know, the patient's lying there and they're like, that's the worst crowd margin I've ever seen. You're like, do you have both eyes open? And then you're looking and then, the, and then they go away and you're looking at the patient is like, well, let's finish up here. And the patient's like, what the hell? So, you know, you got to realize like at Apple, it's fearless feedback. Like you got to take the good with the bad, you know, you got to take your ego out of it. Maybe the delivery was, was terrible, but maybe your crown margin really isn't that great. And you have to take a step back. And that's what I admire about, you know, when you were, you know, working in uh, doing your restorations, you could see the thought process and even dental spark. You can see what she says, like she shows, Oh, you know what? She did it the other day. She says, I did this in the wrong order. Like I should have done this first instead of this. And she says, well, here's how I fixed it. Why? Because she's human. You know, and that's what I learned in yoga in that it's not about the end posture that we take a picture of. It's how I got to that posture where I built strength and I learned balance. It's me standing there in warrior two, that the final posture. Yeah, it looks great. Take a picture, you know, but it's, how did I get there? And all those steps that you have to take a step back, go, this worked, this didn't, and you move on from there. But we've developed this fear of failure. And, you know, I think it was Thomas Edison. I love that quote. He goes, I've never failed. I've just found 10,000 ways it didn't work. And, but we're afraid to do that. But did good old Tom, what do you think? He was on the internet and going like, man, who else is doing this, this crap with, the, with electricity? You know, I suck. Everybody else is doing it faster. Who knows? We just don't know. But self-competition is healthy, you know? Yeah. Like I said, it's, our failures are a lot more public now. Um, if we, if we're public, like I me, mean, if you're posting it or if it's a project that's like outward and not like something. And that's why I really, something I really enjoy doing now is like, like the self-improvement kind of stuff. Cause it's not necessarily like a public thing that you're like posting about daily. Like, Oh, this morning I woke up and like did this, or it's something that you can just measure internally. And you're, you're that way you have like that self-satisfaction, like it's yours and you're doing it for yourself. You're not doing it for, for like the external world in a way. But I think, you know, one of the big things that I'm just kind of like, I'm listening to you as you're talking is the important underlying to all this is just like having like a baseline confidence in yourself. Like if, if you don't have that confidence, if you fail, then it's always like brought back onto yourself. And it's not like a, or oh, that, that idea didn't work. I'll have other ideas. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll get back and I'll do something else a little bit better next time. I think it's really important. And I think something like a cool point that Jessica brought up was like to build this confidence is not always like massive wins that you have to get. It's just like, you know, keep daily little wins going just to get your you know, self-esteem up, your confidence up. And then if you start failing at bigger projects and that's not as big of a deal because you have that center where you're like, okay, I can come back to here and then just go out again. You know, it's very hard to look at your own work and realize you know, and again, this is, I think I'm stealing a famous Einstein quote or something. It's, it's hard to look at your own work and realize your own failures and realize you're the result, you're the reason it like it failed, you know? And the worst thing about orthodontics is it takes almost two years for you to realize, yeah, that was a dumb idea. <laughs> you know, like, damn, now I've got like 30 other people that I've tried this on. It's like, now I've got to like talk about pivoting, you know? So it's, you got to look for those small wins a hundred percent. And you also have to learn to laugh things off. And you know, we've lost the art of savoring. We've lost the art of savoring our wins. We've also lost the art of savoring our losses, meaning that, whoa, that was a colossal disaster. And 
and look and say like, why did that happen? And say, well, what good happened? And I'm sure something good happened. Let's say you start a business and okay, it goes belly up. You could say, you know what? Look at this place though. I designed a great business. Like, you know, obviously I've got some design talent here and I, and I, you know, this worked out well. My e-commerce worked out well. I just misread the market in terms of maybe my product. But if you break it down, there were parts of it that really did work, but it's, we always look at the whole. We don't, we don't look at the little parts that make the sum of the whole. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's a big issue that, and that's why Sean Acor, he has that ACHOR, he has that amazing TED talk. I mean, there's a 12 minute version for you know, everybody out there who has attention, you know, attention span problems. Um, and what he talks about is that you can retrain your brain and understanding the neuroscience of why you're disappointed. You know, you, it, you would say to yourself, you know, why am I upset? Well, I'm upset because this didn't work. Okay, so be upset. And this is what happens next, Omid. We get, we judge ourselves for being upset. It's like, why are you upset? Your life is great. You've got food on the table, a roof over your head. Other people have it worse. Guess what? Be like, have gratitude that you're in a good spot, but don't deny the fact that you're upset or angry. Like, enjoy it. And Dan Siegel talks about name entertainment. You've got to name, name your emotion. You have to name your state and say, you know what? Damn it, I'm angry. And because initially they talk about anger and, and, and fear and everything. It's like a hand in front of your face. You can't even see straight. Where do you think we got the terms blind with rage? You know, I was so angry I couldn't see straight or I was so in love like I, I didn't know what day it was. Do you know what I mean? Because emotions can control us. That's where we have to take a breath. We have to look inward and, and, and focus a little better. And then that hand moves further away and you gain a little objectivity. And guess what? It's hard. I'm sure like you and your wife, did you bring, did you go to the grocery store? No, you're going to have these arguments. There's always things, you know, did you take the, take the garbage out? Did you walk the dog? We don't have a dog. Why are you yelling at me? You know? So, but by learning to take a breath, learning to be, you know, have gratitude for what you're doing, all those neurochemicals that'll wash you over the edge into the ocean by yourself, they start to subside and you get out of that fight or flight into your window of tolerance. And the only way to do that is with your breath and meditation. Meditation is what stops your brain from constantly flying into the default mode network. Because if you can take even a minute of a day to focus on just one thing, your mind doesn't get skewed all over the place. And you're actually a lot happier because you can calm your physiology, gain objectivity. I mean, how many times, Omid, have you maybe written an email or you know a friend did, they were angry about something, they're like, I'm going to show them. And they write this email and right before they press send, you're like, ah, I don't know, maybe like, you know, put the hand down. And then the next day you get out of bed, you grab your coffee, you read the email and you're like, good God, I almost said that. <laughs> it's just like, Holy crap, what was I thinking? Because you weren't thinking in your right mind. So recognizing the minute you have a failure or you get knocked down, fight or flight, you go into that cortisol, epinephrine, neurochemical storm. And it's about taking that breath, gaining some objectivity, saying to yourself, yeah, you know what, damn it, I'm angry or I'm upset. And then thinking why you're upset, allow yourself to be upset. And then you know, you handle everybody else and yourself with a little more kindness and grace at the end of the day. That's a huge tool. And I, some of that I've been getting better at as well, like, you know, from learning these things and listening to these podcasts and like that mindfulness of 
recognizing like in the moment or even like during like this year, like, you know, doing like a surgery residency, there's a lot of times where you're doing like procedures that are like outside of your scope that you wouldn't have done other, if there wasn't like five consultants around like trying to help you, ready to help you out. So you're in the moment and you're just like so much anxiety, like just like, just like all these like, you know, stress and emotions. And then you just like bring it back in with the breath. You're like, okay, just calm down. You're in a, you're like, you're in a protect the safe environment. Just focus on what you're doing. You know what to do, just execute it. I think that's like a huge tool that a lot of people can really uh, implement. But that's having faith in yourself. And you can't have imposter syndrome unless you have skills and faith in yourself because that's why you question yourself because you are educated, you do have skills. And then that's where you start to get all these crazy thoughts. But when your mind goes into that screensaver default mode network, that's where you have to say, you know, your vagus nerve doesn't innervate your hands and your feet. It innervates your heart, your lungs, your diaphragm, whatever. Um, one of the best ways, and I tell yoga, yoga students this, lie on your back, shimmy up against the wall, put your legs up the wall, because when your pelvis is heavy, it actually helps calm your vagus nerve. And when your exhales are longer than your inhales, even if you do it for just one minute, you calm your physiology, and now you're like, oh, okay. Like in the emergency room, they've proven that 50% of what's said to a patient in the emergency room goes right over their head. Because all they hear is like, wah, 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 like in the old Charlie Brown cartoons, like the, the kids could hear the adults. Because a couple of reasons, vocal prosody, meaning you only hear high pitch and low pitch sound. You only hear predatory sounds. Um, there's a, <laughs> this, I've known this kid forever. His father's an oral surgeon. Uh, shout out to Josh Klein. He's doing oral surgery at, uh, in ba at Baylor and um, at Parkland Hospital through Baylor. And... Um, I was telling him this. So he says, oh, so when I tell somebody, you know, your tooth is cracked, it has to come out, I should say. It. And it's true because until you tell a patient in the emerge, you're not dying. You're like, oh, okay. So what do I need to do? Because <laughs> you have to calm their physiology. You have to calm your own physiology and say like, oh, man, you're upset. Why are you upset? And I do this with the hospital residents at Sinai. I said, step out of the room and say, oh, I just need to check something. Go outside, breathe, you know, just take those couple breaths, say, I've got this, I can do this, and then go back in. Because it's just like if you're driving and you're, you know, your GPS is done and your, your Waze isn't working and Google Maps is off, and of course you don't know how to read a map, you know, and you don't even have a map. Um, you can cry all you want by the side of the road, but eventually you've got to get your ass back in the car and drive somewhere because, like, you know, it's not like a chopper is going to come by and rescue you. So, um, it's about recognizing your state, naming it, and then taking, you know, let your ego get a knock, but moving forward. And like, look, I felt that my entire career. And I even said to Jessica Nalero, who's, uh, Lero's the MD oral surge resident uh, in her year at Dalhousie, both super accomplished people, like insanely accomplished. And I said something, and we, we, this is early on. I said, I feel imposter syndrome. And they're like, you do? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it's like all the time. I question myself. And they're like, still? I'm like, yeah. And I think it's great. I want to question myself. I, I, I'm less upset now when I do it because I find I'm not always comparing, comparing, comparing. And, you know, back when you said about taking chances, when I opened up my ortho office, it was 600 square feet and I did everything myself and I had one assistant, one receptionist. And then eventually, you know, five years ago, I had to move my office and everybody's like, oh, you're going to expand now. I can hardly wait. You're going to blow this thing out of the water. And I said, yeah, now I'm in 692 square feet. You know, 
And Camilla, Camilla Caro and Brad Lance, who run our office, are both exceptional orthodontists. Um, they still do it the same way. Two receptionists, two assistants. They do every bracket band, wire scan, everything's digital, everything's virtual. I mean, they're killing it because they're just, they're, they're so focused because it is that, you know, it's boutique type practice. But that doesn't mean even if you had a 6,000 square foot practice, you can't put the same theories into play. But it's, it's just a little bit harder because you have a lot more people, a lot more cats to herd, you know, versus when it's uh, a little more controllable. But the point of the matter is they're doing it, they're making it work, and that works for them. It may not work for other people, but that was my model. That's the model that they appreciate and our patients seem to appreciate. But when I first did that, people thought I'd lost my mind. And Omid, I still remember my first American Association of Ortho Convention I went and everybody's got golf shirted team members, you know, 20 of them like behind, walking behind them, like following the mother. And I was there by myself going, I am such a loser. <laughs> it's just, I mean, people would say, oh, how many, how many staff do you have? I'm like, oh, you know, so like, you know one, two. <laughs> of course, as, as we went through different economic changes, everybody finally looked at me and said, you're not so stupid after all. <laughs> Oh, it's good. It's good to go against the grain and and do things your own way. Because if you're just trying to compete with the mat, like you create like your like that book, like the Blue Ocean Strategy, you just found like your own kind of niche and, and that's how you want to operate and and it got your success. That's why I have that slide, the uh, Beyonce factor. Yeah, I said she's probably <laughs> sitting in the recording studio and everybody's like, yeah, to the right, really flows, sounds great. And she's probably like, yeah, I'm gonna go to the left, <laughs> to the left, to the left, and you know, the rest is history. <laughs> But you've got to, if everybody's doing the same thing, why would I go to you or why would I listen to you? And you're doing a podcast that was anybody really, like there's other podcasts out there, but you were really one of the first, I mean, that I'm aware of, I'm sure there are others, but you were one of the first that spoke to your generation of dentists and you also pivoted and you started doing continuing ed. Then you started having people write and you started your, you know, your daily journal. So you recognized a need and you filled it. You know, um, a friend of mine who's an orthodontist, her father was an orthodontist, when deciding where to open his practice, he said, show me where all the kids in the orthodontist are and that's where I'm going to open because that's the place that's obviously the place to be. But by the same token, why not if everybody's doing one thing, that doesn't mean it's right. It just means they're doing it. Like, Sometimes you got to rip the bandaid off, man. You got to go in the other direction. I want to ask you about accountability because uh, it's, it's something that it's a tool. It can hurt you. It can be really beneficial as well. Uh, I know growing up, that was like one of my problems. I was very like public with like goals and stuff. So I'd like in high school, I'd go out and be like, oh, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And then just tell like everyone who would listen. And then if it worked, then you look like, you know, you look really good. If it didn't work, you look like a bit of an idiot. And often it wouldn't work. So, <laughs> uh, but and also now, like in the business sense and the like in the side hustle sense, a bit of a theme for the podcast. If you have you know business partners or if you have mentors and you give them targets and goals and things, so I'm gonna get this project done by this date, or I'm gonna accomplish this, or this is like a key performance thing that I'm gonna do. It's really helpful in that regard to keep you in track and keep you in line. How do you approach accountability? Because you I know you're a teacher, you're, you're a teacher. You work in a bigger company now. So there's like different elements and dynamics there. How, like what's accountability mean to you? Well, you're always accountable to somebody, you know, as a, you know, I'm still a practicing orthodontist, still seeing facial pain patients. 
I'm accountable to my patients. I'm accountable to the hospital. I'm accountable to the residents. I'm accountable to the, the, whoever hires me to speak. I'm accountable to all these people. But the problem is, what's missing? Yourself. Exactly. And if you're not accountable to yourself first, all that external nonsense is not going to work. You know, and Sean Acor talks about this in terms of happiness. He said, if I know 100% about you, where you live, your job, your income, your car you drive and everything, he said, science shows you can actually, knowing 100% of the external world, someone's external world, you can, without question, predict their, their long-term happiness at a rate of 10%. <laughs> so you can know 100% about somebody and it, it's only a 10% you know, knowledge bump. That makes no sense. So you first have to be accountable to yourself. And if you have to blast it out to the world to be accountable, then you've got to take a step back and say, I'm not ready to do this. Because if I'm not ready to be accountable only to myself right now, if I need to tell 90 people so I'll go to the gym, then you've got to examine why it takes those 90 people to get you to the gym. And it's hard on it. It's hard to get your ass out of bed. You know, there used to be a Dunkin' Donuts commercial as this older older guy and he was the baker and it was it was to show that dunkin donuts bakes their donuts fresh every day you see him at two in the morning getting out of bed in the dark he's like time to make the donuts and i have to tell you omid there's a lot of days where i force myself to get out of bed and i say out loud time to make the donuts you know, <laughs> i like that that's good <laughs> i gotta get out of bed and make the damn donuts make the donuts you know and i, and I want a donut so it's like suggestive that's a whole nother issue but anyway I think I might name the uh, podcast episode time to make the donuts. <laughs> I think actually, you know what? That would be great. I think it's amazing. And he'd be, and you'd see him like rolling out of bed. It's dark. And he's like, oh, time to make the donuts. <laughs> so you have to take a step back because if it takes all these external factors to get you out of bed to do this, then is it the right project? Are you really committed? And what is holding you back? Is it something anxiety-wise, psychological, whatever? Before you dump all your time and money into an endeavor that looks sexy, you got to take a step back and say, am I personally ready to take the knocks, um, the ups and downs? Am I ready to do this? And it's very funny because I was reminded of this the other day. I was talking to somebody, you know, when I used to look for summer jobs and I did a lot of like, I worked in construction. So like I did some really like tough summer jobs. They were not fun. And um, looking back, they were, but they weren't at the time. And, um, you know, I would kind of, I would look at doing these jobs and I thought like, do I, you know, why do I not live this? Why don't I want to do it? And, and then I realized, look, I'm developing a work ethic and I kind of want to move forward and I, and I want to do a good job no matter what I'm doing. It also, you know, made me want to stay in school because I didn't want to do some of these jobs anymore um, because it just, I just, didn't like it. And I thought, you know, I want to be able to do something different and perhaps bigger, but it's that motivation to get out of bed in the morning and do that sort of stuff. And, you know, my father said to me once when I was complaining about a summer job, he goes, you know, you're not, they're not hiring CEOs for IBM for the summer. <laughs> you know, it's like, you're going to have to, you're gonna have to kind of take one of these jobs where you're cleaning out construction sites, you know, houses on construction sites. He said, they don't need a CEO uh, at that corporation for June and July. 
And that was a long time ago that he said that, and he was right, but we have to be prepared to start at the bottom. And one of the examples I give was one of the former CEOs of Southwest Airlines was succeeded by this woman who used to work with him. Where did she work with him? She was a legal secretary with this guy way back when he was just like a solo practitioner lawyer. He went up the ranks, became chairman of Southwest Airlines, and so did she. You gotta start somewhere. You can't start at the top because you can't start at the flashy Instagram posts. I wish more people would, I wish really good looking people would go on Instagram and said, Oh, I went out on a date Sunday. I got, I ate Mexican. I got really bloated. And then uh, you know, they didn't want to make out with me. And then Monday morning, I got a text saying, We're done. You know, if more people did that, you know, people would be a lot happier. But nobody, nobody does that. And it, but that's reality. You know, I like the I like those Instagram posts where they do like Instagram versus reality and they just like show the behind the scenes <laughs> or something. Yeah, that's true. You know, they should show the behind the scenes of what it takes to get that person looking. And so, you know, like the person with abs and then you scroll back and you're like, no abs, abs again, <laughs> no abs. You know, like what's going on here? You know, is it the lighting? Like, I don't understand. You know, I was walking with Homam the other day and we, this guy was on the street, he was gin ginormous, like his arms were the size of like both my legs put together. And so I said to Homam, I go, that's just clean living in chicken breasts. And so, you know, and we're both laughing because no, it's not. You can go on any social media platform and tell me that, you know, 10 sit-ups a day and a chicken breast with some broccoli and that's how I look this way. Yes, no, it's not. There's no that's shortcuts. That's not how you got there, no. And I think like you said that internal accountability, it's like a muscle as well. I think you have to just keep, keep at it. And that's one of the reasons I really have like fallen in love with like running. Cause I, I tell my friends who I run with and things all the time when you're out, like, so I'll go off for a run and in my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do X amount of kilometers or I'm going to do like this speed. And then in the middle of it, like I'm hurting and I'm like, who cares? Like no one, no one knows that I've set this goal. No one's going to be bothered if I accomplish it or not accomplish it. But it comes back to that internal accountability where like, I'll know if I did it or not. And then that, that feeling or that momentum then takes you on for the rest of your day or other projects that you're doing. And it's the same with transits really well to dentistry because you, know, you could be doing a filling or like you said, with your ortho final adjustments and, and tweaks, you can leave it and the patient might not notice or nobody else might notice, but you'll know, you'll know, Oh, I could have done that like 5% better. And that'll, that'll affect you. And that's what drives you forward. Knowing that somebody's, you know, like it's with social media posts. I always tell people, don't put anything on the internet that you don't want to see in a court of law with your mother beside you, <laughs> you know, take that project forward and go, how would I feel if, and it always goes back to feelings. You should say to yourself, when you look at a result, go, how would I feel if that was my mouth? Or how would I feel five years from now, if I look back and see that's the job I did? you know, or that I should have redone this, or I shouldn't have done, gone about it this way. And again, don't beat yourself up or judge yourself for being upset or unhappy because that's what propels you forward. And we're all human. It's like in yoga, when you do a balance on one side, then you go to the other side and go, guess what? You might fall on the left side because you're human. And it's great to set those goals for yourself, but at the end of the day, let's say you set a PR, you know, or a PB personal best or a personal record, whatever. For, for a run and you come in two minutes and you ran 20 kilometers and you're like, damn it, what a waste of a run. It's like, oh, okay, just let's back up a second. You just ran 20K. I'm sure there's a lot of benefits. Be like, have gratitude for the fact that you were able to get out of bed, run for 20K, 
yeah, you're two minutes slower than your PB, but you're not going to do a personal best every single run and your body's not capable of it. But you see what happened? You didn't savor the amazing run being outside. You just kept looking at your watch. You didn't see the scenery. You didn't appreciate that your legs are moving and that you can run. All you saw was your watch. So where, like, where's the joy in that? And we're all guilty of it. Like, don't think I'm some guru sitting on a mountain. I mean, I'm like, I struggle with this stuff every day. Yeah. I think that's the thing. Everything is a journey. And I think you got to enjoy the process. You got to enjoy the grind of it to, you know, get to those higher levels. Like you said, to get to that flow state, there's going to be tur- like turbulence along the way till you get there, till, till like your skills match up to the challenge. And then you're like in that flow state. And then again, you can take a level up and then start pushing yourself to a harder procedure, to harder tasks or harder projects. The last thing I want to ask you on this, you know, crushing side hustle theme that we have here is goal setting. How do you, how do you look at that? How do you plan for things? Or do you just like, do you take, do you make long-term goals? Like do you, if I ask you like a five-year goal, 10-year goal, do you have it? Or is it more short-term things that you just try and tick off and just roll with the flow? I'm sort of the fall ass backward, you know, in the beginning, you know, I never, I actually, you know, when I look back, like, what was my goal? I don't know. You know, I don't, I never really had concrete goals. Like this goal setting thing, that's kind of a new, <laughs> something new, you know, <laughs> where everybody has the white, the vision board, you know, yeah. with, this, with the fabric <laughs> and the pictures. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, maybe if you spend, I don't know, seven less hours doing your design board, you maybe you've got something to accomplish. But man, does it look good on Instagram that here's yeah, my vision board. It's, it's got on Pinterest as well, so. <laughs> yeah. And then you say, what have you done towards your vision? Well, I've made the board. Just look at my board. It's fantastic. It's like, yeah, that was a waste of time. Like, it's important to have goals and say, you know, I'd like to be at this level by a certain time. However, let's say you set financial goals for your practice. Well, that's great. But if, if your only satisfaction comes from that financial goal, then you've miswanted the wrong goal because you're, it's never going to make you happy. They've actually shown that people, I think, that make in like a base salary in the U.S. or something that covers, you know, your basic needs. That once you've done that, beyond that, you're just, you're not any happier. And it's experiences, not stuff, that makes you happy. And they've even shown, you know, um, these researchers from the University of British Columbia. I can't think of the name. I can find it for you. Where they said. If I gave you $5 and said, you know, you can keep it or give it away. If you gave it away, you were way happier. So then they thought, okay, we're in a, you know, Canada is a very progressive Western nation. What if we went to some, you know, place where everybody's just like $5 is a month's salary. So they did, they went somewhere, you know, to a small town in, uh, in, in another country. And what they found was even if that person who a dollar to them was, you know, food, if they gave it to somebody, they were a lot happier. So you have to decide what your goals are because at the end of somebody's practice career, and I always say this, you're going to remember the person you found pathology on and saved their life, or you're going to remember that you were able to mentor somebody, or you had the money to be able to help your parents or whatever, you know, and as I tell people, you know, as an oral surgeon or whatever, you're, you're not just putting an implant, you're helping someone sit at the dinner table and eat with their family. That's what you're doing. And you're always going to make money along the way. As Steve Jobs says, you know, we're not here to make money. We're just here to like make you productive and creative. And oh, by the way, we'll sell you some computers that break as much as other computers. And you know, you'll be able to do that. So I think it's about setting realistic goals saying, yes, I'd like to get my practice open by this date, or 
I'm going to apply to this program, you know, and if I don't get in after two cycles, then what's my plan B? But a lot of people don't want to have plan B and C because they only think plan A is the only way they're going to be happy. And that's not the truth. And as I wrote recently in that blog, it's we keep moving the line. You know, when you talk about goal setting, you, you got to take a beat back and say, my goal is to be satisfied with the work I do. My goal is to know my patients are really happy. My goal is to know that even if I only have 500 listeners, every week I get 100 emails saying, wow, you spoke to me today. What good is it if you have 50,000 listeners and nobody ever writes you and says, your, your, your podcast does nothing for me? It's like, I put it on the background while I'm vacuuming. Like, okay, well, that's, you know. It's perfect accompaniment to vacuuming. Yeah. Yeah, it's white noise while I fall asleep. It's like, yeah. wow, that's touching. I really am glad I'm doing it. Thank you. Yeah. So it's about having personal goals, but it's also about having realistic, you know, um, objective goals. But as Sean Acor says, I want to get into dental school. I'll be happy when I get into my specialty. I'll be happy when I open my office. I'm going to be happy when I go to open my bigger office. So the damn line in the sand on the opposite side of which you're going to be happy, as I wrote, like you're never happy. Because you keep moving the, you keep moving the damn line. So That's like, a big problem for, you know, because, you know, all healthcare, like doctors, dentists, like professionals by nature, were pretty like goal-driven, like hardworking type A type people for the most part. So we're, we're like by default, it's like always the next thing. Like, okay, I did well in undergrad. Okay, now I got to get into like dental school. Now yeah, but those are not the things that make you happy. Yeah, it's the challenge. It's the default we have. Like we will accomplish something and then right away, it's like, what's the next thing? So and that's a, that's a big, big lesson to, to be learned. There's actually something, and maybe we can talk about this further in, in another session. I've actually opened, I have my little book that I, uh, you'll love this. It, it says ideas on the front with an exclamation mark. Okay. So um, I write everything down. Um, and there's a study by Golwitzer and Branschstather. See, I've been studying my German. Um, and they talk about the WHOOP technique, which is wish outcome obstacles plan. And it's how you get through things. My wish or my goal is X. So you have to then, what they tell you is you have to sit with it and says, well, how do I feel about that wish? You know, am I nervous about it? Am I anxious? Do I feel excited about it? And then you go to the, you know, what's the desired outcome? Well, my desired outcome is I'm going to open my practice. What's my desired outcome? I have happy patients that leave and say they've had a good experience because if your goal, and this is where goal setting falls into the trap. If your goal is, I want to hit this financial level by year one, guess what? Probably not going to happen because you focused on the wrong thing. You focused on an objective, finance, an objective metric. You didn't focus on your churn rate or your, or your unhappy patients. And I always ask dentists, I say, hey, what percent of your patients accept your treatment plans? I get a blank stare. And then I say, oh, okay. Um, hmm. Uh, how many patients, you know, do you lose a month or like, I don't know. And then I said, Oh, of those patients, you don't know that you're losing every month. Do you know why they're leaving? And they're like, yeah, no. so you got to say, like, if I said, Oh, I've got this business I want you to buy. Um, there's a subscription service and I sell a product and you say to me, well, Hey Bruce, um, how many people on your subscription service? I'm like, I, I don't really know. Well, how many people do you lose on your service? No, I can't tell you that either. Um, of, of all the calls you get, how many, what percent actually take, you know, buy your product or sign up? I'm like, yeah, I, you know, I just don't have that number with me right now. 
are you going to buy my business? No chance. Yeah. But look at most dentists. They don't even like, so you focus on the wrong things. If you just focus on financial metrics and everything else, it's, you're never going to be successful. And also you're not going to be happy. Your goal is I want patients having an outstanding experience. I want patient retention. I want to see that my patients refer other loyal patients and so on and so on. And when you do that, you will be successful financially, personally. And at the end of the day, you're going to realize, you know what? I, I'm content. Happy is a kind of a crazy word. Um, I kind of don't like it. I think you just need to be content. You sit with yourself in the moment and go like, yeah, not bad. It's like, I don't have anything to complain about. That's a great advice. That's what I told the, I had a talk with some dental students at Melbourne University a couple of days ago. Oh, I saw you did that. That yeah, was awesome. And that was, that was like my advice. Cause that was a mistake I made early on. And I think we talked about this probably like in the first podcast, but like I judged my growth and productivity and everything just by like how much money I was producing each day as a dentist versus my procedures or like how good my composites looked or how the, like the patient happiness factors. And I told the students the same thing. It'll, it won't, it'll only take you so far if you're just gauging your growth and progress by how much money you're making per day versus those other out clinical outcomes or patient outcomes. And it's not enough motivation. Yeah. If I said to you, Omid, like, you're like, wow, I build X today. I build $9,000 a day. I'd be like, that's amazing. How would you feel Omid now if I told you that of the 20 patients you saw today, 15 were unsatisfied. That 9,000 bucks, you're going to be horrified. Yeah. You know, so I always say to people, and I'm learning to do this, and you know, I'm the big, I'm guilty, like not doing it properly, but it's how would you feel if? And that's why you have to sit with your emotions, even when we talk about wish, outcome, obstacles, plan. Each step you go, how would I feel if I did this? How would I feel if I did that? How would I feel if somebody was unhappy when I did X, Y, or you know what I mean? So, because it's those feelings that help propel you forward is that, you know, trusting your gut, etc. You know, all these books on trusting your gut, people are like, have you read them? And I said, yeah, after the first 10 pages, it kept repeating itself. So I got the gist of it. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you. I don't need to read that. Yeah. And you know, you know, you're in trouble when chapters are a page long, you know, the, you, you know, there was an editor going, we need to stretch this out. <laughs> like more chapters. It's like, yeah, I love those, those books. It's like, they give you the, the the whole ideas like in the first chapter and just like examples of like just I'm like okay we get the point like, I know it's like <laughs> chapter eight wait oh chapter nine that was a short chapter you know there's two paragraphs so that's awesome uh, that was a really good episode I think we covered a lot and we approached the idea of projects and side hustles and whatever word you want to put to it through different angles and different lenses of uh, taking chances not being scared to fail knowing when to pivot how to set some goals and how to have that internal accountability to make sure your motivation is like in the right place and not some external thing that you're like relying on other people to like deliver that like outcome for you. So uh, any other things you want to touch on, on the side hustle or anything like that before we wrap up? Learn to say no, which, you know, has spawned 5,000 books and I'm terrible at it, but I've also learned how to say, you know what? I'm not, I don't, I'm not, I don't have the time right now to do a really good job. So I have to, I have to decline. Um, but thank you very much. Maybe come back to me in three to six months because I would feel terrible if I took this on and I didn't deliver. Do you know what I mean? So I think it's very important to know your limits 
and that don't spread yourself too thin. And also you don't want to dilute yourself just because if somebody wants you to speak or do a podcast, doesn't mean you have to do every single one. Like eventually people are going to go, oh, him again, I don't want to listen to him. Like, that's why we waited two and a half years to do another one. They're going to be like, who? I don't remember that guy. But people still tell me, I listened to your, your podcast when I started dental school. Or I listened to it when I was midway through dental school. And I think that's amazing. But why do I, you know, if, I, if I'm on every week, people are just going to go like, oh, geez, shut that guy up already. You know, so I think it's about learning to hold back, learning to create something of value. And there's no value in just spitting out content, you know, ad hoc without really giving it thought because you have to say to yourself again, how would I feel if I knew my listeners were bored, disappointed, you know, got no value out of this. And that's where you have to take a step back and then listen to your feelings and recognize this isn't the right time, place, idea. And your feelings will, will guide you appropriately and help you get to, not Instagram, not social media, not anything. Your feelings will guide your, your head, will help you analyze. Again, get those emotions off your, you know, at an objective distance so that you're not blind with, you know, excitement, rage, whatever it is, because you have to remember emotions are energy in your body. They're bouncing around. If you don't address them, what happens? You know, you have to gain objectivity and you have to sit with the idea. That's what meditation is. Just sit for five minutes and go, huh, close your eyes and go like, it's amazing that it's such a struggle to fit into your day for a lot of people, but it's such a valuable thing to do. Start with a minute. Yeah. One minute, set a timer and then set a timer for two minutes. And I've told people and I'm, look, I'm the same way. I remember the first time I meditated for 15 minutes, the alarm and I was like, whoa, it's like, <laughs> that was 15 minutes. Yeah, no, it is enjoyable. It's, it's, it's a really enjoyable exercise. And it's something that for some people who are like, oh, like maybe like going off, like going to the gym or like, it's just, you're literally just staying there and just being quiet and thinking and focusing on your breath. Like it's such a pleasurable thing to do. I'm, I really encourage more people to do it. And the more you learn to have that single-minded focus, the more you can help be the observer of your mind, not having your thoughts control you. But that's, that's a whole nother episode. Yeah, we'll get, in, we'll get into that uh, stuff in the next one. But I really, I really uh, do appreciate the, the insight. And you know, one of the cool things of doing things for a while or sticking to a project for a while, or having that longevity is, it's, I, you know, even I was thinking about it before it was, like in the romantic notion of it, I guess, is it was cool because even for yourself, even if the listeners you know don't get too much, but this is a, something that in 10 years time, you can listen to this or you can listen to the old one and even like see your own growth, Bruce. Like, oh, I, I was doing this like in 2018. This is what I was saying in 2020. And then hopefully we'll, get, we'll do another one in like 2022 or something. And uh, it's nice to stick to a project and have it evolve as well. I think this is, you know, everyone kind of just jumps from stuff to stuff every so often, but I think it's like a cool thing to have this body of work and and have back to look back on later on and see how you've changed and see how you developed and see how you your your impact on others because we've had two and a half years for people to come back to you and i and say wow i really enjoyed that or it made a difference or i you know you know how many times you know i don't know if people have said this to you as well you know i listened to that at a really crappy point in dental school you know, and I've had non-dental people listen to it, you know, and they said, you know, it, it came at a good time is what I hear. And that like, wow, 
even if one person comes to you and says that, then it's. I love that. And that's the thing, you know, you, you, like, it's like measuring your productivity with money again. If I'm like, Oh, like that, this many downloads per month and we can, but it's like those messages on like Instagram or Facebook or even like LinkedIn. Now they're like people messaging, Oh man, like, thank you for your podcast. I drive to work an hour. And like, like that stuff is just like so valuable. And I think that's, that makes uh, everything worthwhile. Because you're making a difference and that's all. And it just takes one person to tell you that and it makes it worthwhile. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, hopefully we'll do another one soon and we'll dive into more of the other side of things where it's like, you know, uh, crushing the self-care instead of the side ah, hustles. <laughs> yeah, that's a good story. <laughs> all right, man. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of the Newbie Dentist Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe and head over to iTunes and give the show a five-star rating. For all show notes and to access all previous episodes, head over to www.newbiedentist.com. Have a great day.